Janelle, I mean, uh, Dee, I'm really glad that you read the extra verses. Um, I, it, it sets such a nice tone to our text because Peter comes to Jesus and he says, how many times should I forgive? And Jesus says, 77 times. And then it sets up this uh, parable that we're going to be looking at today, which um, is a parable of exaggerations, which we'll get to. But as you know, uh, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, sent the world spiraling out of control. So not only did we see it in their relationship, they start blaming each other and things fall apart in the garden pretty quickly. But it also spreads to their children. And so Cain kills his brother Abel in a fit of jealous rage. Uh, And in every single way that you can imagine, the communal uh, uh, spirit, the communal character of the creation that God created went to pot. It was destroyed. When Cain did what would have, what Cain did would have been impossible to do were it not for the personal pronoun. I, me, mine. I'm jealous because you, God, didn't favor my sacrifice. You begin to see just how how selfish the creation became at that point. But Cain's reputation spread. So it's not just limited to Adam and Eve and their family, but it spreads further. And so generations later, we have a guy named Lamech saying, uh, if you think what Cain did was bad, I've done it even more so. He says, I've gotten revenge 70 times 7. I killed a man who I was offended by, who wronged me. And Lamech really shows what happens when unforgiveness runs unabated in a person's life. That's where it ends up, is we ultimately kill each other when we refuse to forgive. There's another interesting connection in the Old Testament to this text. In Leviticus 25, Leviticus uh, sets out the principles of the idea of jubilee. And jubilee, if someone had a piece of property and they sold their property, and you have to understand property had, had family importance and significance. So it was more than just a piece of property. It was something that our family owns. It's something that our family draws a living from, that sustains our family. So if you had financial hard times in your family and you sold a piece of property, the new owner could only hold it for 50 years, and then it would come back to your family. See the principle of forgiveness in there? Not only that, but it's also interesting that in the case of farming, uh, the land was given a rest from planting. 
So there was a sort of forgiveness there, a sort of release from the, the stress and strain of having produce a crop every year and in all the ways that that would have depleted the soil. In short, uh, Jubilee was both economic and spiritual. So from the very, very earliest in the Old Testament, we see uh, an attention by God and by the Bible on the idea of forgiveness. It's a really big deal. It's a very big theme. Because it is simply the only way that we can deal with, in a permanent way, the sin of Adam and Eve is through forgiveness. Because sometimes there are things that are so great and so expensive that there's no way that you can pay it back. It's just simply too big. There's a human tendency to think that my stuff is minor compared to your stuff. Right? Sort of this imaginary template that we put over the things that people do. And so, D, you have a particular weakness, and it's really worse than my particular weaknesses. Isn't that the way we look at it? So, to gossip about another person is less than stealing from a store. This imaginary template that I put over events. Or to steal software is okay, but telling a lie isn't okay. Or to ignore or be rude to another person is okay, but committing adultery is not. See how we do that? I mean, we do it all the time. Oh no, he did what? I would never do that. Well, I may not do that, but I do this. You see this sort of attitude in the parable of the unmerciful servant. And the thing that I want to, I, I want you to hang on to this idea is that Jesus uses preposterous values in this text. That's the nature of parables. Parables are meant to, to make us go, What? That's impossible. It's meant to, to pull us up short and, and make us say, wait a minute, I never thought about it that way before. Or what on earth is Jesus trying to get across here? That's the point of parables. And so this first servant owns what owes what amounts to 150,000 years of labor in order to pay back this debt. There's no way that he could have run up a debt like that. That's impossible, right? I mean, it's, you can't even think about that much debt. And yet, for the sake of the parable, that's what Jesus is, is using as his as his beginning point, is his servant owes his master 150,000 years of labor. 
Josephus says his his burden was uh, uh, what, what, what does he say? Uh, Ten thousand talents. Josephus, the Jewish historian, says that the entire tax debt of all Judeans was only six hundred talents per year. That was just the tax debt. Six hundred talents. And this guy, this poor servant, owes his master 10,000 talents. Well, clearly, that's an impossible sum of money. There's no, no way it would be impossible for any human being on the face of the earth to repay to somebody 150,000 years worth of labor. Impossible. But that's how Jesus wants us to think about sin and forgiveness. He wants to remove from our mind any sort of notion that what I do is somehow penny-ante. Penny-ante. Uh, that, it's, that it's minor. That it's unimportant. No, Jesus would say. It's 10,000 talents worth of guilt and sin and failure. Financial wrongs are insurmountable, and that's the message of the parable. They're insurmountable. And so if you ever think in your mind that you will be able to repay or undo what you have done in this life, forget it. That's the message. Forget it. You ain't going to do it. So you might as well give up on that idea. Put it away from you because it's going to stress you the rest of your life and bury you in guilt. So the servant, when his master says, pay me back, or I'm going to throw you in jail, I'm going to throw you in debtor's prison, and I'm going to throw your wife and your children, I'm going to sell all your possessions in order to get back a little bit of this 10,000 talents that you owe. The servant says, oh, don't do that, I'll pay you back. What was he thinking? The master says, you're not going to pay this back. Forget it. It's forgiven. You don't owe me anything. Can you imagine what that felt like? Remember the last day, the last payment that you sent in for a new car or for whatever it is that you paid off? And remember how you felt? And that's how this guy feels. And I blogged about this and I said, you really expect him to... to to dance, fairly dance out of his master's house. He's so delighted. Cartwheels down the street. But instead he goes and he grabs a friend of his and he says, pay me what you owe me. And you can see his teeth bared. He's grabbed him by the shirt. Only this guy owes him what some people estimate is about $60. So we're comparing $60 to $30 million. 
and he's grabbed him by the shirt. We do that all the time. We do that all the time. Maybe not pay people, grab them and say, pay me back, but, but we do it in our, our attitudes toward the, the sin and failure of other people. Where, where we say, I just don't want to have anything to do with you because you are flawed and I'm not. We do it all the time. We make judgments about where people are spiritually based on a, a failure that they've had. And we make those judgments out of a sense of superiority and self-righteousness. In this case, the emphasis changes from the amount owed to the size of the sin and the refusal of the first servant to forgive even the smallest thing. It's the size of his spirit, which is pretty small, pretty insignificant. The larger number is the size of his arrogance, his, his unwillingness to be a forgiving person. The larger number also reflects the size and unwillingness and willingness of God's forgiveness compared to the unforgiving servant. It's really neat kind of how you can look at these numbers and what, what they mean, what they could mean, what they could be metaphors for. So you have 150,000 years worth of labor, which indicates something of God's generosity of spirit, but it also is a measure of the arrogance of this man who refuses to forgive his, his friend. Greek word for forgiveness is aphiomi, which means to let go. To let go. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not forgetting. I don't know where people got that idea. It's not, it's not forgive and forget. It's not that. It's forgive. It's turn loose of it. Let it go. Mine's a computer and we don't forget. You don't forget that stuff. But you can let it go. You can say, I'm not going to dwell on that anymore. I'm not going to wish bad, ill on anyone because of some failure that they had. I'm going to let it go. That's what God is asking us to do. Things that we don't let go remain in our lives like cancers, like these big craters in our spirit that keep us from progressing as people. I like what Anne Lamott wrote, and she's not the only one that said this, but she says that uh, it's like holding on, to, uh, holding on to anger is like drinking poison and waiting for the rat to die. And it's such a great analogy. And that's what happens to us when we refuse to be forgiving people. Uh, Letting go is, is the definition of forgiveness. We've seen before together as a church the Mary Johnson video clip. It's the uh, African-American lady whose, husband, whose uh, son was killed by another man. The other man went to Stillwater, Minnesota to the state prison. 
and she becomes convinced that she needs to go talk to him. So she goes through all the counseling that this prison offers and that sort of stuff and, and then has these meetings with this, this man that killed her son. And now he lives that far away from her in the next apartment. It's just a wall separating them. And they've been on The View and they've been on this place and that place and he goes to prison and talks to people and his life was redeemed by her forgiveness. It's the most miraculous thing I've ever seen in my life. Has she forgotten that he killed her son? No. Every time she looks at a picture of her boy in her apartment, she thinks of that, but she's let it go. Jesus said that forgiveness is not an option. I hear Sometimes I hear Christian people saying, oh, I just don't know if I can forgive them. You don't have an option. In fact, in the Lord's Prayer, say it with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven others. When we, every time we pray that, we're saying to God, I want you to treat me the way I treat everybody else. You ever thought about it that way? There's a terrible threat in the parable, and it's part of, this, part of the exaggerations, remember, that I told you about. They're, they're huge exaggerations. Jesus says that the master's response to the servant's lack of forgiveness was to hand him over to be tortured until he should pay his entire debt. Well, I don't think that's what God does. I, you know, I don't think that's Jesus' point. But I do think that Jesus is doing hyperbole. I think he's doing overstatement, exaggeration. I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, you should never exaggerate. <laughs> well, Jesus is exa exaggerating here. This man could not possibly pay back the debt while he's being tortured in prison. But that was Jesus' way of calling attention to the seriousness with which God takes this matter. You know, his, his very language, his exaggeration, is, is Jesus' way of saying, people, you need to sit up and take notice. Because in the heart of God, this is something that is fundamentally important. Um, we see it in the, in the Lord's Prayer. We see it in the proportions of this parable. I consider my sins to be of the one-talent variety and D's of the ten-talent variety, I'm going to be less likely to be generous to her. You know, why, why didn't she get, have her like, act together? Why isn't she wired like I am? You know, I don't have any problem with this. I've got one-talent sense. She's got ten-talent sense. And you know, the way the, the way the parable functions and what Jesus wants us to see is... No, that's not the way it is. We're both ten-talent people. 
both of us. We live in a justice society. We want to pay people back for what they've done. I've, I hear people ever so often say things like that. They need to get what they deserve. I used to work out with a, uh, when I uh, lived in Lodi, I used, I used to go to this rehab gym, and there was a bunch of old poops there. Now I are one. But, uh, anyway, I would, I would stand around and listen to them talk about things, and it, it was one of the most ungracious groups of people I've ever been around. Because very often the conversation drifted to what, getting what you deserve. And if anything, Jesus says to us in the parable, you don't want what you deserve. You do not want it. Because we're all the 10,000 talent person in this parable. So there's lots of implications for this. Um, when I blow you off because I think you're stupid or fill in the blank, I've not had the attitude that goes with forgiveness. You know, there's, sort of, there's, an, there's an attitude, a generosity that goes with forgiveness that's, that's even greater or more important than forgiveness because without this, this attitude, I'm not going to have the forgiveness that goes along with it. Or if I ignore you or gossip about you or spread lies about you, I've not turned loose of whatever burns within me. Or if I actively seek your harm, I'm committing the most egregious expression of unforgiveness. I don't think God is saying that there should not be consequences of very bad behavior. I don't think God is saying, you know, turn loose of your prison system or anything. I don't think that's the point of this. Uh, an orderly society requires that. But... It is quite another thing if I bank very negative and destructive attitudes and emotions related to some wrong done to me. The minute I start banking that stuff and nursing it and reminiscing about it and bringing it up again over and over and over again, it consumes me and it causes me to miss a real opportunity to redeem someone else. The guy's name's Israel that killed Mary Johnson's son. Imagine what his life would have been like had Mary Johnson not gone to that prison, to the Stillwater State Prison, and sat with him and redeemed his life. Let's pray. Dear Father, it is so difficult to be a forgiving person. The only hope I have to become such a person is to remember that you extended the greatest forgiveness ever in sending your son to an exasperating, violent, rude, crude, and perverted world. A world that has defied you from the beginning of time. Please fill our hearts with the mind of Jesus. And may we forgive those who sin against us. In Jesus' name, amen.